Welcome to the Forerunner Church Podcast, where we highlight key messages and themes related to the body of Christ, inviting you to connect with our spiritual family as we grow in passion for Jesus and compassion for people. For more information, visit forerunnerchurch.com. Well, good morning. Well, nah, good afternoon, minus four minutes. Let's go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We'll take the next few moments and talk about the importance of praying for Israel. Why pray for Israel? Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you have a plan and that you so desire to bring your people into your plan, to partner with you, to walk with you. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would, in these next few moments, Father, that you would increase light on our hearts, on our minds, that spirit of living understanding. Father, that you would Open up our eyes to your law. Father, even as your son did on the road to Emmaus, he opened up understanding concerning the scriptures. Father, do what only you can do, that anointing. 1 John 2, 27, that anointing that abides in every born-again believer. Father, we ask you to stir up that realm of revelation on the inside. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, just want to take a few moments and talk about why to pray for Israel. Just in light of us getting ready for this Isaiah 62 fast in May uh, 7 to 28. It'll, we're six, seven weeks out, and already we got 500,000 people, nearing 500,000, that are saying yes to this. And we're only a couple of, only two weeks really, about to start a third week in, you know, talking about this. And we have six more weeks, seven more weeks to go. And I believe that uh, those numbers will hit a million in, in no time flat and even beyond. And it really is, you know, what the Lord said he would do in Isaiah 62. He said, I will set watchmen on the wall. So this is really a divine initiative. There is, uh, there's, not, there's not enough human ingenuity uh, to make this kind of thing happen, uh, in particular when it comes to the nation of Israel. It takes Holy Spirit understanding to make sense of it. And so for this many people to say yes to it this fast, uh, to me, it's just evidence of the Holy Spirit doing what the Spirit does. And that is uh, touch hearts, touch minds, uh, bring understanding in terms of what is in the Father's heart, in this particular case, related to the nation of Israel. Now, in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, he expresses um, his heart. And he says that this is my longing, this is my desire. In chapter 9, verse 1, he says, this is on my mind perpetually. And it's my prayer to God that Israel would be saved. Now, in the next chapter, 
Romans 11, verse 25 and 26, we find out that when he's talking about Israel being saved, he's talking about all of Israel being saved. This national repentance of Israel coming into the embrace of God through Jesus Christ as it was prophesied by the prophets. The prophets, um, uh, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Joel, I mean, they, they all talk, Isaiah, they all talk about a time when Israel will fully yield to her Messiah and come into salvation. And then, but what the scripture also says that when that happens, there is something radical that will take place in the earth. In Romans chapter 11, verse 15, Paul uses this phrase. He calls it life from the dead. He says, when Israel says yes to the Messiah, it will be life from the dead. It will, it will put the, the, the whole created order, the nations, the environment, on a, an entirely different trajectory until the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. Romans chapter 10 is in the context of these three clusters of chapters in the book of Romans. Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, most uh, people that teach about Israel are uh, usually go to these three chapters because that's probably the most concentrated set of chapters in the New Testament where Paul lays out very concisely and in a very concentrated way God's plan for, uh, that will lead to the salvation of the Jewish people. Now, one of the reasons why Paul writes this is because when looking at Israel, everything about Israel is pointed the opposite direction in terms of them saying yes to the Messiah. And because of that condition, Paul is concerned because it can lead people to draw conclusions about the faithfulness of God related to the Jewish people that are incorrect. That because of their resistance to the gospel and because there is no real reflection of the glory that they are promised, it is easy to conclude that God is done with them. And Paul says, no, God is not done with them at all. Not even close. He says, don't be tricked by their current condition. He says, the Father has every intention through a plan that he had devised before the foundations of the earth that he would lead Israel into a national repentance and salvation through Jesus Christ and in doing so, bringing the whole world into what he promised Abraham. He says, through you, all the nations will be blessed. In paragraph A, oh, excuse me, before we go there, so Romans chapter 9, I just want to give it, we'll just quick, uh, just one, two, three. Romans 9, in essence, what Paul is stating there is that God was and is completely free to choose whoever he wants. That he is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he's wise and powerful, loving, merciful, gracious in electing Abraham. In short, that is the message of Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 10, 
is now, but the people that he chose, by and large, are not cooperating. They are resisting the gospel. Hence, chapter 10, verse 1, he goes, but it's my desire and prayer that they would be saved. Chapter 11, again, this very, very short, very condensed, is Paul saying, now here is God's plan and God's strategy to bring Israel into their promised salvation. So that's the context of Romans chapter 10, where Paul says, therefore I pray, it's my desire and prayer to God that Israel will be saved. And so when we're engaging in this three-week fast, that is essentially what we're praying for. We're praying for the salvation of the Jewish people. We're praying uh, 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 the promises of Joel, that God will pour out his spirit upon, uh, upon Israel. I, I'm just... Uh, uh, in my heart, I'm just a bit moved by the fact that, again, not of anything on our doing, on our, on our part at all, that the 100 million intercessors will be praying on May 28th, which is Pentecost Sunday, to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the nation of Israel. Paragraph A, the scripture speaks of Israel as a unique people, a unique people. 1 Peter, in chapter 2, he, talks, he refers to it as a holy people. In other words, a people that are set apart. However, it is very, very important to understand, very important to understand, that their election, God choosing Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, had nothing to do with any specialty in them as a people. In other words, the Lord wasn't looking across the earth for someone that was qualified and said, man, they ain't a lot of qualified people. And they have a little bit of qualification. You know what? We'll go with them. In fact, we'll look at a verse in just a moment. It is actually quite the opposite, actually. It's quite the opposite. The apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 9, I have it right there in the notes, 9 uh, verses 10 to 11, he says that the purpose of God, according to God's election, was not of works. In other words, there wasn't anything that Israel and her fathers have done to earn this election. Paul continues, but it is of him who calls. In other words, God made this choice by his own divine initiative. He wasn't motivated by anything externally except for in himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. In perfect fellowship, they came up with this plan and they said, let's pick this guy. Now, there are undoubtedly many, many, many things in God's divine logic in terms of why he did it. And the scripture is silent about that. And we will, we will have billions of years of conversations with the Father to kind of get some, what now, what was going on? But I assure you this, that one of the reasons why he picked them is because it is the perfect decision 
to produce optimum humility in everybody, in everyone, including the Jewish people. I said this the other day that the Gentiles did not appreciate that choice. There's the flip side. The Jews don't appreciate the choice. No one really likes the fact that God chose Israel, including Israel. That's part of the problem. It is of him who calls. Deuteronomy chapter 70, apostle, and apostle, but Moses, prophet Moses, he says this to the Jewish people. He says, God did not set his love on you, nor did he choose you because you were more in number. In other words, he says, there wasn't anything special about you. If anything, he says, it's actually quite the opposite. He says, you are the least among the people. In other words, none of the nations were qualified. You are negatively qualified. <laughs> like everyone was in a zero. You went down into like negative 10. He goes, that's, if, 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 if there is a reason why I picture it, there you have it. That's why. It is because you were profoundly unqualified. And then he says in verse 8, he goes, because the Lord loves you. That's why. I remember some years ago, I was in a prayer meeting and, and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, one of the intercessors around the group, you know, started praying. I mean, they, I mean, they were feeling it. I mean, they were going for it. And I, want, I mean, they were so crying out for the Lord's heart for Israel. And they said, Lord, he goes, what is it that you saw in them? And why did you pick them? And I thought to myself, absolutely nothing. It is not of works, but of him who calls. And he set his affections upon them. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9 and 10. He calls Jacob the apple of his eye. Jacob is in the wilderness. God set his fiery, holy, zealous, loving gaze and affection upon that man. That was a gloriously and terrifying day when the Holy One said, I'm going to put, he's the apple of my, I'm put my affections upon him. The apple of his eye is an expression that means cherished. God set his gaze on Jacob. The phrase apple of his eye also means the little man of his eye. The little man of his eye. And the, the implications in that uh, phrase is a son who captured the affections of his father. God set his affections on Jacob. God cherished Jacob. The phrase, apple of his eye, it shows up about uh, four times in the, in, uh, in the Old Testament. The other one is with King David in uh, Psalm 17 when he says, Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. Zechariah chapter two, verse eight, the Lord says to Israel, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye. The apple of his eye is also a reference to the pupil, the pupil of, 
our eyes. Now, I'm about to get myself in biological problems over here because I'm not a medical scientist, so please go easy on me because I'm, I'm going to wax scientific here for a moment. We'll try to. The pupil, if I remember my biology class, but anyway, the pupil is that, 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 is that which does at least two things. Number one, it governs light. It governs the light that enters into the eye. And I think that in that, when the Lord says, Israel, you are the apple of my eye, I believe in that he is also speaking to them about their future calling and purpose to be the light of God in the earth. Several passages in the Old Testament and the New that talk about Israel being a light to the nations. Secondly, the pupil uh, can show the, the, uh, the, you know, the medical guy insight into the health of the brain. And so when we look at Israel being the apple of his eye, there's something about Israel that according to the scripture, when we understand the scripture and we look at Israel, we begin to get insight into what it is that God is thinking. There's several places that talks about Israel being a witness. There's other places where it says that Israel is a lesson or an object lesson. There's things about God and God's ways, about the knowledge of God that we can learn by looking at Israel. About 60 to 63 times in the book of Ezekiel alone, he says, Israel, I'm going to do certain things in you and to you, both positive and negative. And when I do these things, he goes, you will understand that I am. And then he says later on, he says, Israel, I'm going to do these particular things, positive and negative. He goes, and when I do them, the nations will know that I am. Remember, Paul says that this calling is, the purpose of this election is not of works, but it's of him who calls. It is about the revealing of the character and the very nature of God. And so the Lord has put a uniqueness of calling and purpose on Israel. The thing that is so amazing is this book right here, the Bible. You got it on your laps or whatever is it, wherever it is that you have or your coffee table, coffee table at home or something. Beloved, this is a Jewish book. I mean, every book in this book is written by a Jew. Now, there are an, um, two books. The Gentiles got in on it, Luke and Acts. So, you know, so we, got, we got a bestseller in there. You know, we got, that's right, there you go. We, we got a little, you know, we had a little book table along the way. But... This whole thing is a Jewish book written by Jewish authors telling a Jewish story. That was part of their purpose. I mean, we have this book. Now think about it for a second. We have this book because there is an Israel. I want to say this again. We have a book because there is an Israel. That is part of the purpose. He didn't give this purpose to Holland. He didn't give it to America. He didn't give it to Mexico. He didn't give it to Guatemala. He gave it to Israel to be stewards of the revelation of God to ensure that God's word will be made available to everyone. And so there was a uniqueness of calling and purpose. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 verse 6, he says, and ultimately, 
It was to basically host and give birth to the Messiah. Jesus came forth because there's an Israel. And there are many, 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 many more things like this that we can look at in terms of Israel's unique purpose and calling. Now, the, what I just mentioned is referring to the calling of Israel leading up to or pointing to the first coming. And most people are comfortable with that. Where things get a little sideways is when we begin to embrace that, no, there is an eternal assignment and calling upon the Jewish people. There's a calling into the age to come. But yet, when they come into that calling, it has profound ramifications for the whole earth. Remember that phrase, life from the dead, in Romans eleven fifteen, 15. In Psalm 48, the psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in his holy mountain, is the joy of the, uh, the, joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion. Speaking of Jerusalem, right now, Jerusalem is not the joy of the whole earth. Right now, Jerusalem is the conundrum of the whole earth. It really is. The, 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 just to have a conversation about Jerusalem, in particular when people have different opinions, it, there's a lot of tension and confusion and opinions and, and what, is, what about this and what about that and what about this politics and what about this action, what about that? And blah, blah, blah. It, Right now, Jerusalem is the conundrum of the earth. And the reason why the psalmist says that Jerusalem will be the joy of the whole earth is because at the end of this whole thing, beloved, we're going to have so much clarity about the ways of God that when we begin to understand the purpose and the role of that city and the plan of God, when we talk about it, it will fill us with so much joy because we will understand, so, oh, that's why God did this, and oh, that's why he said this, and oh, that's why this happened. This is amazing. And I know, well, let me tell you what I just realized. Ah, no, let me tell you what you just realized. Ah, ah. They're screaming because they're realizing stuff too. I mean, there's, there's, there's going to be this understanding about God's ways related to this city to joy the whole earth. Now, Paul, in Romans chapter 3, right there in the notes under paragraph C, I just want to point this out. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, and Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, and Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Paul seems to be contradicting himself, but he's not. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, Paul says, you know what? He goes, in my past, he goes, I um, was, man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. In other words, I was a super duper uber Hebrew. I was more Hebrew than all the Hebrews. I mean, I was in. I mean, I was locked in to my identity as a Hebrew, he's not only that, he goes, I study under the best scholars. He goes, I study under the, under the top Pharisees of the generation, and I was their top student. He goes, not only that, 
He goes, when it came to embracing the law, he goes, I was blameless. He goes, may I walk this thing out perfectly? And you know Paul ain't exaggerating because the Holy Spirit allowed him to write it down in the Bible. He says, when it came to the righteousness of the law, he goes, I was blameless. And then he makes this, and he just shifts all of a sudden. He goes, you know what? He goes, none of this stuff, he goes, it doesn't mean nothing at all. Nothing. And you're like, whoa, what's going on over here? Well, then in Romans chapter 3, let's read that. He says, well, what advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the, prof what is the profit of the circumcision? Paul says, much in every way. You go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. He goes, how can you say over here that it matters much, but over here you say it doesn't mean anything? Well, there's two purposes there. In Philippians chapter 3, what Paul is saying is, he goes, my identity as a Jew doesn't mean anything as it pertains to my salvation. He says, the only way that I am in the kingdom is the exact same way for everyone. It is by faith. It is by, it, it is by, by grace through faith. That is the only way for Jew and for Gentile, by grace through faith. I don't have a free ticket and an automatic righteousness because I'm a Jew. Amen. So in terms of my righteousness before God, it doesn't mean anything at all. Zero. Zilch. That's what he's talking about. And, he, and, he's, and he's speaking quite strongly. And by the way, because of this testimony, and Paul said it in different places, is one of the reasons why he is anticipating this question in Romans chapter 3. He goes, that he's basically anticipating this conversation, going, hey, we're hearing you saying that really matter, uh, the Jews that don't really matter. He goes, well, it's, it's a little more nuanced. He goes, when it comes to salvation, no, it doesn't mean anything. But when it comes to the manifestation of God's faithfulness, it means everything. It means everything. Because of the covenant, the commitment that he made with our fathers. It's about the faithfulness of God. There are two Psalms, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. You look at it later. It says, a fool says in his heart there is no God. So it, it's denying the existence of God. What is interesting about both those Psalms is that they both end the same way, and they end with the restoration of Israel. One of the greatest arguments from heaven against the atheists, if they persist, is when after all of this, Israel is still standing. It's about the faithfulness of God. Paragraph D so we got the uniqueness of calling, the uniqueness of purpose. Paragraph D, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, he called them a unique people or a holy nation, as he says in, uh, later on in, in 1 Peter. There are people that were set apart to be a priestly people, to be a priestly nation, to, uh, to be a people that worship God in truth. That is their primary call. In essence, it is to lead the nations of the earth into the worship of the true and living God. It says in Deuteronomy 28 that, uh, that Israel will be 
uh, uh, the head and not the tail. They will be the lead nation. It will be the nation that will host the capital of the whole world, Jerusalem, that will be the seat of government of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paragraph E, the Lord set his unique and eternal affections on Israel. I love this verse, Jeremiah 31, verse uh, three to four. He says, I have loved you, Israel. I love this. He goes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He tells Israel this, and the, uh, the Lord appears, it says, to Jeremiah. And he says, tell them this, Jeremiah. Tell Israel, I have loved them. I, the uncreated God, have loved them with my entire being. You know, Deuteronomy chapter six, when it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Uh, Endeavor you shall love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The idea there is that, that when it's, uh, depending on how you read it, but that the, uh, the, the Lord your God is one. Uh, some translations suggest that it means that he alone is yours. And because he is wholly yours, he is fully in, he is all in, Therefore, love him back in the exact same way. Love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so he comes here to Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, tell them that I've loved them with an everlasting love. Well, we come into the new covenant, and the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, comes in Jewish flesh as a Jewish Messiah, as the Jewish Messiah, and he stands in front of Jewish apostles, and he says, let me expound on this everlasting love. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. For God's unique affection on Israel is that he loves Israel in the exact same way that he loves his son, but there's a caveat to this. Israel cannot and will not enter into, into the experience of that love and that affection aside from the born-again experience by, by grace through faith. It's the only way that they can experience and enter into that affection. Well, one of the reasons why we pray for Israel is that when at the Lord's return, they can fully, because at the Lord's return is when that national repentance will take place, they can enter into that love and that affection. Now, between now and then, there are, I believe, very powerful deposits of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will be released upon, uh, 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 upon Israel. For instance, in, in Romans, uh, chapter 11, verse 26, Paul says, all Israel will be saved. He goes, but until then, Romans 11, 12, and verse 13, he goes, until then, he goes, I will, he, he says, I will walk in excellence and power in the preaching of the gospel to the nations that I might provoke some of them. And so between now and the all getting saved, some will get saved. And so that is part of what we're praying for. We're praying for the increase of the sum getting saved unto the Lord's return and all getting saved. In Joel chapter 2, a familiar passage, page 2. In Joel chapter 2, the prophet Joel, 
he prophesies, he says, I will pour out my, uh, my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters, instead of uh, just kind of making a generic you, it is your Jewish sons and daughters shall prophesy. Now, it, you know, some of you Gentiles are sitting there going, man, what about us? Do we get to, do we get to play? Well, of course. We, 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 is that fast coming up? <laughs> okay. I completely missed that one. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, he says, it is your Jewish sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your Jewish young men will have visions. And your Jewish old men will have, will have dreams. And again, it's not limited to the Jews, but it is firstly to the Jews. I believe that one of the things that's going to happen in our understanding uh, from May 28, May 29 on, is the Lord is going to progressively increase, and I love this phrase, my friend Sammy uses this, the, the, the gospel priority of Israel. That the gospel is first to the Jew. That when we begin to read this book, we begin to see through an entirely different lens, God's plan for the Jewish people and how through that truth, what he promised Abraham will happen. He goes, I, he goes, in you and through you, Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. So we're not left out in this whole thing, but there is a priority and the Lord wants us to yield to that priority, the very humility that is after. But guess what? But even Israel doesn't like that priority. Israel's whole dilemma, God help me, Israel's whole dilemma on history is like, we want to be like everybody else. And the Lord goes, no, he goes, you are a unique people. You cannot be like everybody else. So the resentment of the election is in both Jew and Gentile. And so the Lord is helping us. He says, hey, let's engage in this thing. The angel Gabriel comes to Daniel. He's Daniel. He goes, man, I love it. You set your heart to understand. He goes, you need some help. <laughs> he says, I've come to give you skill to understand. And that's what I believe the Lord really wants to do. He wants to mark our hearts, mark the hearts of a million, mark the hearts of a hundred million, being to mark Israel, pour out his spirit. But along with that, he wants to mark the whole body of Christ, Gentile believers and Messianic believers alike, with the skill to understand. The prophet Joel continues. He says that they will have dreams. They will have visions. Now, these dreams and visions, you know, only the Lord knows the, the full content of all these dreams and visions, but... But I believe that part of these dreams and visions are the revelation of the, the, the Jewish Messiah coming to them through supernatural encounters. One of the things that I'm believing for is that we would begin to hear an accelerated amount of stories of angelic visitations, Holy Spirit encounters, the appearances of Jesus to Jewish people and bring them into the encounter with Christ in the very same way that he's been doing with the Muslim community for the last 20, uh, 20 plus years. I mean, the amount of stories are staggering. 
the supernatural stories of the Lord visiting Muslims in dreams. I mean, the stories, I mean, they're just like, Lord, I, I, say, I say this in the most reverent way. It is like straight up like divine showing off. No, really. I mean, there are phenomenal. You're like, what in the world? I said, you did. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking of a, two or three of them right now. I don't get time to get into it. Uh, just absolutely fascinating stories. Supernatural encounters of angels. The Lord himself coming in all manner of ways. Uh, to the Muslims. And, and part of what we're crying out for is that, beloved, we've gotten too accustomed with kind of appreciating the Jewish thing over here and, you know, kind of doing a little Shabbat and kind of waving a little flag. And we've been kind of content, actually, with the small amount of supernatural encounters of the branch of the Lord, the, superna- uh, the, uh, the Jewish Messiah, appearing to these people. And the prophet Joel made it very clear. He says, I'm prophesying this. He, said, he says, there's coming a time. I'm going to pour out my spirit, and it's going to come a realm of revelation that is historic in nature upon the Jewish people. It is an unusual release of God's divine activity on Israel. I believe that this fast, you know, in, in, uh, in aviation, when you, in, uh, especially when you go on these long transatlantic flights, in navigation, there's this point called the point of no return. When you cannot go back to where you started, you must continue. May 7, 2023, to, 2000, to, to May 28, 2023, is going to be a point of no return in human history. When it with this, let's go to page three. The apostle Paul He uh, states in uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I desire, brethren, that you not be ignorant, he says. Don't be ignorant of this plan. And then he gives a little warning. He says, lest you become wise in your own opinion. As I mentioned earlier, right now, Jerusalem is the conundrum of the earth. There is a whole range of, of opinions about What's right, wrong, good, I mean, just the whole deal. And one of the reasons why that is, is because there is a lack of understanding concerning the plan of God. And Paul says, I desire that you, the church, not be ignorant of this, lest you cling to a human-centered, human-oriented opinions about Israel. Now, paragraph D, I got five things listed there about uh, what I think, and I'm thinking this list could probably be longer, of what being wise in our own opinions look like. But I want to focus on the last one. It's indifference. Indifference is probably, you know, because we've got uh, 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 anti-Semitism, replacement theology and whatnot, but I don't think that most people 
are in that camp. I think most people are in the camp of indifference. They're like, and what's the indifference? The indifference is this, is that we're comfortable with not understanding God's purposes for Israel. I'll say this again. The indifference is being comfortable with not understanding. And I am uh, intentionally right now aiming at those of you who are right to say, God, you know what? This is so overwhelming. This is so, I don't really know. I tried to figure this out. I got this going on in my life. Listen, I've got total empathy and compassion in your life, but you cannot move on without understanding God's plan for the Jewish people. Now, the Lord, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, you know what? He's, he's just come to me. He's just come. He says, all you are heavy laden and burdened. In other words, he goes, come to me, those of you who are overwhelmed. He goes, he goes, come. He just, just come to me. You're overwhelmed by this? He goes, just, just come. It feels like it's too much. He goes, just come. Just come to me. Just, just, just approach me. Just sigh and say yes. Like, all you have to do is, Oh, here I am. That's coming to the Lord. You don't have to assume the position. You don't got to, nah, you know, count the beats, nothing. All you got to do is go, oh, Lord, here I am. He goes, that's all I want you to do. How often? Just do it a lot. Here I am. He goes, just keep doing that. You just keep doing that. He goes, when you do that, he goes, he goes, I will give you rest. He goes, I will, he goes, he goes, I will settle some stuff for you. And here's the thing. He goes, I want you to learn from me. And he says, I am gentle and humble. He goes, he goes I will be gentle with you in the process. But you got to come to me. And I believe, beloved, that that is one of the main things for the body of Christ in his hour. Yes, we're crying out for God's salvation for the Jewish people. But with that also must come this cry for understanding. We want to lean in. So where's your team come up? We want to lean into saying, Lord, I don't want to be indifferent. Beloved, we cannot be indifferent about this. Paul says that when we are indifferent, he goes, we are hung down with superficial human understanding and we actually end up missing out of the prophetic perspective that he wants to give to the end time church. Let's stand. Let's just stand before the Lord. Just talk to him. Some of you, if you feel like you have been indifferent about this or you're overwhelmed, you're saying, I'm saying yes, but man, this is overwhelming. You know, it's okay. It, it started very overwhelming for me. I'll tell that story another time. So I get it. But we have to say yes to this. If you say, man, you feel like the Lord is really touching you on this and you'd like to receive prayers, I want to invite you to come to the front. I want to pray for you. You're saying yes. To say, yeah, I want to lean in and understand this.
Some of you are saying, you know, I don't quite know where to begin. And that's okay. James tells us that uh, the Father is, uh, is so generous. He says, if you lack wisdom and understanding, he would just ask. He says, I will just release it on you. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 that when our minds start to get transformed and renewed related to this subject, that we begin to actually increase in discerning the will of God. Some of you, you just have a sense of the Lord's presence on your heart. There's even a, a sense of God, the weight of God's presence or even just a burning in your heart. That's you. I just want to invite you to come to the front. I pray for you. Let's just continue to wait on the Lord. The Lord is just touching different ones of you. It's an invitation of the Lord into a greater place of understanding through the word. He will help us by the spirit, through the word, friendships, conversations, bring the right resources your way. Just stay in community, stay in the word and Lord, we ask you that you would just continue, Lord, just to move across this room. Now, there's a second category I want to pray for. To some of you, um, you, you've been in this journey for, for a long while, decades even. And um, it's a very wearisome journey. But I, re I really believe that a lot of what's happening right now, yes, it is God's sovereign movement, but it is also um, the Lord, you know, bearing witness, so to speak, to those who have held the line, born the stigma, the, the rejection, the misunderstanding, the, the ridicule, the, the dismissiveness and all these things that come with the subject. And yet you have continued to say yes to the Lord and your heart is tender before the Lord and, and you're here, but you're weary. You say, Lord, I need strength and I'm, in, I'm encouraged, but I need strength if that's you. So I invite you to come to the front. You've been at this since, since the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. The Lord wants to strengthen some of you. tuning in to Sunday Sermon. For more information, service times, and free teaching resources, visit forerunnerchurch.com.